You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Man, I am pumped for this morning. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning. But before we get into that, I just want to make a brief request for you as as your pastor. Um, So as you may know, this has been a pretty heavily hit time for us uh, with COVID here in our community and and just all kinds of different sicknesses and things like that. Um, Some of our most involved people and dedicated people in the church have made the decision to join us online during the season because they're immunocompromised or or whatever it might be. And I think those are all really good decisions. The ask that I have of you is that in a season like this, there's really no perfect way to keep us all connected. And uh, so it can be easy for us to let people fall through the cracks if they're not attending in person. Uh, Just last week, we had four of our uh, Sunday school teachers out with COVID. This week, I mean, Trent had a full band as of yesterday, and it just got kind of stripped down because of COVID. And so we're just, we're just like navigating this, and our staff has done an incredible job of pivoting last minute between Trish and and Trent. Yeah, we can say thank you to them uh, for a minute here. The ask is this, if, if you've been around New Life for a while and there's someone maybe you haven't seen for a while or you haven't heard from a, from a while, and this includes you online as well, just reach out and let them know you're thinking about them, that you're praying for them. That's a lot of what my week is spent doing is just reaching out to people and connecting with them, but I'm only one person and can't possibly do it for everybody all the time. And so if we as the church, both online and in person, could just make an intentional effort over the next couple weeks just to be intentional about reaching out to people. I think that'd go a long way. It's not a perfect system, but nothing is right now, right? So uh, let's be the church to one another. I want to pray before we jump into our message this morning. We're in the last week of our series um, on creation. We're going to move into the fall next about talking about sin, which is super exciting and fun. So uh, today's the last week we're talking about creation. So let's pray uh, together this morning. Father God, we need a move of your Holy Spirit in this church. And when I say in this church, I don't mean in this building. God, we need a move of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in our houses, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, God. And so God, this morning, I pray that we will experience your Holy Spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit, and the only way that you know how to bring it, God. May I not rely on whatever I bring to the table, God. May I set that aside and invite your Holy Spirit to work. God, I pray for people in this room. I pray for people online. I pray for people navigating sickness and job loss and um, relational loss. I know there's grieving families in our church right now. God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be felt in a unique and powerful way by every single person that calls new life their home. And so, God, we love you, and we need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
So many of you already know this about us, but my wife and I, we live out in the country, dirt roads, land, all that fun, good stuff. And uh, my daughters over the last couple of years, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, have come to love riding horses. I mean, they just love it. They, they are obsessed with anything. Horses, they will ride any chance that they get. They will, they will take advantage of it. And uh, if it were up to my wife and my kids, our family would already own 30 horses. Unfortunately, we also have someone living with us who's a party pooper named Brad. Now, I happen to think Brad's a pretty smart guy, a pretty smart party pooper, because what my, his family doesn't realize is that if they did have 30 horses, they'd be having a lot of parties cleaning up poopy. But we're lucky enough to have tons of neighbors and friends that have horses, and so my kids will take advantage anytime they get to ride horses all the time. And they love learning how to ride them and care for them and feed them treats and all of the good stuff that goes along with riding horses. Well, a few months ago, uh, there was one instance, and this just makes me laugh every time I think about it, where my three-year-old Rowan was offered by our friend Sarah some horse treats to feed the horses. And so she's feeding the horses these horse treats and having fun, and the horses are loving it. And then Sarah goes, hey, Rowan, did you know these are actually like human treats too? Like they can be eat, like they're human-grade treats. It's legit. So you can eat them as well. Organic, all that hippie stuff, okay? So, so Rowan's like, you mean I can eat the horse treat too? And so she's like, yeah. So Rowan, of course, eats the horse treat, and it's good, and, and whatever. No, no issue. Until Rowan begins to believe that human food and animal food are one in the same, which is sort of true if you eat a lot of Taco Bell, but we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> and so we caught Rowan at our house eating dog food. Now, if you have a child or you were a child, which we all were a child at one point, You've eaten dog food, right? I, I've tried dog food before. The difference between me and my crazy three-year-old is that the very first time that I tried dog food was also the very last time I tried dog food. I spit it out. It was disgusting. But it was after this instance of Rowan eating a horse treat where we didn't have to stop her once from eating dog food or twice or three times, four separate times we had to get this girl to stop eating dog food because, this is so gross, dog breath, yeah, because in Rowan's mind, there is no distinction, no separate category between animal food and human food. I hope she's finally learned. She might be sneaking it as a snack in the garage out in the middle of the night. I don't know. See, some parts of our lives, it's really important that they're kept in separate categories, right? Like, dog food and, and human food, work life and personal life. Being able to separate those things into categories is an important life skill. Same thing with money, spending money and saving money. Separating things into categories is a really important skill. And, and God actually, when he created in Genesis 1, the very first page of the Bible, the very first thing that we see him doing is separating areas of creation into different categories. He's separating piece by piece. In fact, in Genesis 1, verse 3, this is what it says, third verse in the Bible, this is what it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Categories, right? God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, 
and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And if you were to continue reading on this first page of the Bible in Genesis, as God continues to create, you see him, like we just read here, separating light from dark, and then he separates sea from sky, and then he separates land from water, and he does all of these different separations. This category belongs over here, and this category belongs over there. This is the very rhythm of creation that you see on the first page of the Bible. And yet there is one area of our lives that I think a lot of us categorize, that a lot of us separate, and it's actually a pretty dangerous lie that a lot of us believe. It's a lie that when we actually believe it and begin living into it, which I think a lot of us do without intending to, we actually can stifle the voice of God in our lives. Like when we believe this lie, it's actually a lie that violates God's intention in his creation. It's a lie that can keep us from discovering God's purpose for our lives. It's a lie that can lead us to spiritual burnout. Some of you are like, just telling me what the lie is already. This is the lie. The lie is this, that some of life is sacred and some of life is secular, that we have different categories in our lives. I, call, I love to call this idea country music theology. Any country music fans in here? It's like every country music song, like my Friday night was spent, you know, getting drunk on bush light and uh, having a one night stand in the back of my pickup truck. And then I go put a 10 in the offering plate on Sunday. Like that's country music theology, right? Like some of our lives are sacred and some of our lives are secular. I can't believe how many times that theme shows up in country music. I've just been getting like back into country music. I'm like, holy cow, some of us live this way. Like this is our, our theology about God. And yet... This is a really, really dangerous belief to have when it comes to the way we actually live our lives. Why is this so dangerous? Because if we were to separate out our lives into some areas being sacred and some areas of our lives being secular, then what we convince ourselves of is that God has authority, that he has authorship, that he, he, he cares about certain parts of our lives but not as much about others. Like, we can convince ourselves there's, God cares about the Sunday mornings but doesn't care about the Friday nights. That God cares about the Monday night Bible study but doesn't care about the Tuesday morning work meeting. And if we were to be really honest and kind of break our lives down, for most of us, I would say approximately 5% of our lives would be spent on spiritual things. Reading the Bible, coming to church, evangelism, these types of things. And the rest of our lives, 95% of our lives would be quote unquote secular. Things like grocery shopping, working, cutting your toenails, eating Taco Bell, drinking Bush, Bush Light, which by the way is the LaCroix of beer. So all of you that mock me for drinking LaCroix, yeah, anyways. Sleeping, gaming, I mean this is 95% of our lives would be considered secular. Even as a pastor, when I look up the breakdown of my life, like the thing I can convince myself is that my life is super spiritual because my work happens to be explicitly that way. But the reality is none of our work lives are secular. They're all ministry. And God's, God's intention was never in his good creation 
to, to have these things be separated out like this in our lives, that parts of our lives would be considered sacred and other parts of our lives would be secular. In fact, the rhythm of creation is that human beings were woven together with creation to show that he has authorship and involvement and authority over all of it. Every aspect of life being sacred. You see, there's a pattern that shows up over and over and over in Genesis 1. Repeatedly, the author wants us to really get a point and really drive it home that in the beginning, there was chaos. There was formlessness. There was void. There was emptiness. I'm going to share the Hebrew word with you, not because I'm smart, but because it's so fun to say. The Hebrew word for chaos and void is the word tobu wabohu. That's fun to say. Say that out loud. Say tobu wabohu. That was Awful. Is everyone sleeping? Say tobu wabohu. Yes, I love it. Tobu wabohu. It means chaos. It means emptiness. This is the world into which God speaks, and this is what it says in Genesis 1, verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. More separation, right? And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. This pattern that occurs repeatedly in this very first chapter of Genesis is shown in red right here. These three sections of statements show up eight separate times in Genesis 1 alone. The first one is, and God said, let the, so we got those first two there, or let there be, some version of that, and God said, let there be, or let the water that's the first one that shows God's command, his speaking. And then the second statement that shows up eight different times in, and it was so, or and there was. In other words, God speaks and creation responds eight different times in Genesis 1 alone. And then the last one here, and God saw that it was good, that his authorship is over all of it. Why do I take the time to share this with you? Because the author of Genesis 1 wants us to understand one thing. This is the point he is trying to drive home from this chapter. That in every aspect of life, no matter how chaotic, mundane, no matter how filled with tobu wabohu it might seem, God's authority, his fingerprints, his authorship is over every piece of it. There is no sacred and secular division for people who live in God's world. It's all sacred. It's all holy. The very job of human beings when he created them was to serve as markers to show the world how God's fingerprints are over all of it. In fact, the very mandate, the very uh, thing that he convicted human beings to do as he created them was to go out into the world and show that he has dominion over every single piece of it, that there's no part of the world that he doesn't have authority over. In fact, you see this in Genesis 1, 28 through 31. The very calling of human beings is this, and God blessed them, men and women, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We read that verse a couple weeks ago, but then it goes on. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and his fruit. He is expressing his dominion to human beings here. 
And then he goes on, you shall have them for food. My authorship's over it. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. God's dominion, his authority is over all of it. There is no sacred secular divide. And it was so. There's that statement again. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You see, the very mandate that God gave human beings, the very purpose for humans' existence, the very purpose for your existence is this right here. It's to carry God's dominion forward in every single aspect of life. Not separating parts of life as secular and other parts of life sacred, but to actually carry his dominion into every single area of life. Now, I want to illustrate this for you this morning. We're going to have some fun. Some of you wondered why we left our trash up here uh, this morning. We're going to have some fun this morning as we talk about this. So these two items here are two very different things, right? And we have some electricians in the family here at New Life, so hopefully I don't embarrass myself too bad with this illustration. Uh, But I want to illustrate how God calls us this way. So on one hand, there's one type of element that interacts with electricity in a very certain way, Tires or rubber would be an example of this. Who knows what this is called? An insulator, like it says on the screen. There you go. So insulators would be things like rubber and glass and oil and dry wood and diamonds. And what happens when electricity hits an insulator? It stops, right? It's absorbed. It's like one and done. There it is. Like if I'm in a rainstorm, this is what I want out there with me. It it absorbs the electricity, But then there's another type of element when it comes to electricity. Who knows what this would be called? A conductor. I learned these things this last week. Y'all are way smarter than I am, okay? So a conductor would be like copper or a piece of copper-covered steel or seawater or silver or gold. These are all examples of conductors. And what happens when electricity hits a conductor? It runs right through it. It flows through it. You see, when it comes to electricity, there are two very different types of elements that interact in very different ways with electricity. And the same thing is true with human beings spiritually. That some of us, some of us are just spiritual insulators. That we come to church on a Sunday morning and we can convince ourselves that being inspired by a message or falling asleep, depending on the week, is the same thing as actually obeying God and putting these things into practice. That's for spiritual insulators, it's all about absorbing, and they experience God, and maybe they're inspired or whatever it might be, but it always is absorbed, and it always stops with them. These are the types of people that go from church to church and use language like, I'm just really not being fed anymore. Can I say something most pastors won't tell you. We hate that statement with a passion because all we see when we hear that statement, I'm going to offend some people here. I'm really sorry, but I don't care. Life's too short. All I hear when I hear that statement is toddlers, like my toddlers, holding their silverware and banging on the countertop and saying, we want food, we want food, or in Rowan's case, we want dog food, we want dog food. (laughs) There's no obedience to God the rest of their week. If they go back to their secular job, and God doesn't make a difference in their job. 
spiritual absorbers, insulators. They go back to their families. And their relationships are marked by statements like, I just don't care anymore. I'm going to be given to apathy. They go on Facebook and they just rant and rant and rant like it's their own personal megaphone about everything from people to government to whatever it might be. See, for for spiritual insulators, life is separated between sacred and secular. That I'll go to the sacred parts of life on Sunday mornings, but then everything else in my life is secular, and nobody experiences the power of God through me because I am simply a spiritual insulator. This is getting really heavy to hold right about now, so I'm going to set that down. But then there's a different type of person. There's a different type of person, a spiritual conductor, who when they experience the power of God, when they experience God, it never stays or stops with just them. That just like a conductor, it flows through them and impacts every single area of their lives because there's no such thing as a secular part of their lives. See, spiritual conductors don't sit at a table holding a fork and knife, banging it and saying, I want to be fed, I want to be fed. You know what spiritual conductors do? They run out and they say, hey, there is a feast and I helped prepare it. And I want to invite you to the table to eat because I'm that excited about the feast. And guess what? In that process, spiritual conductors get fed spiritually as well. Jesus talked about this in Luke 14. We did a whole sermon series on it in 2019, like 10 years ago. (laughs) Spiritual conductors understand that their purpose is to make God's dominion known in every single area of their lives. So they bring his power into their workplace. No matter their position, they understand that their ministry, that their industry is ministry no matter what it is. One of the most flawed beliefs that people in the church have is that there's such a thing as sacred jobs like being a pastor or a missionary and secular jobs like being an electrician or a teacher. There is no difference if you are a follower of Christ. That just like the pattern in Genesis 1, that your job, your role is to be a spiritual conductor carrying the power and the dominion and the presence of God into every area of their lives. These types of people... They see themselves as partners with God in their marriages. They see themselves as partners with God in their families, with their kids. They are not given to passivity and apathy in their relationships. They're not perfect people, but they are carriers of God's authority and his dominion in their world. These people find their rest in the presence of God so that they can carry his mission forward. These are two very different types of people, and you know this question's coming. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you a spiritual insulator, or are you a spiritual conductor? Because here's the thing, guys. I I did a lot of study this week throughout scriptures, And if you can find something I can't in the Bible, I'll give you a dollar, okay? (laughs) I cannot find, maybe it's there, I don't know, but I cannot find a single instance where God calls somebody, he places a calling on their life that looks like spiritual insulating. Not a single one that I can think of. 
beginning with the very first calling of human beings to not just sit, eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy his creation, but to actually do something with it, to carry his dominion forward, to not be an insulator, but to be a conductor. And it goes on, even in the fallen world, even once sin happens, God calls Abraham, Abram at the time, and he says, I'm not just blessing you for you, Abram. You are blessed to be a blessing. Abram, you are not a spiritual insulator. You are a conductor of my power and blessing in the world. Moses, I don't even know, need to go to Planet Fitness today. I'm just like getting to work out here with this stuff. Moses, 80 years into his life, God appears to him in a burning bush, and he says, Moses, I'm not calling you to just sit in Midian and insulate yourself from the dangers of the empire of Egypt. No, Moses, I am calling you to be a conductor of my power to show that even Pharaoh bows down to creator God. Amen. To the prophet Jonah, Jonah, I'm not just calling you to go hide yourself in the, the bottom of a boat and flee the opposite way of the calling I have placed on your life, and you're not just going to insulate yourself under the comfort of this little fig tree. No, Jonah, I am calling you to call Nineveh to repentance because you are not a spiritual insulator. You are a spiritual conductor. Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. Peter and Andrew, some of the very first disciples he calls, he says, Peter and Andrew, I am not calling you to just sit in your workplace and make a healthy living and just get rich being spiritual insulators. No, you're not going to be fishers of fish anymore. I'm calling you to fish for people because my calling that I've placed on your life is to be a spiritual conductor. And when I think about stories in our church, I think about a guy named Sean who loves riding motorcycles but he doesn't ride his bike just as a hobby, just for fun. No, Sean takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to some of the darkest corners of our country, to dive bars and biker hangouts, because Sean sees himself not as a spiritual insulator, but as a conductor. I think of people like Farron, who just opened a, a brand new salon and she doesn't operate her salon just to make people's hair look prettier. No, I've seen this play out. She operates her salon in a way that says, no, in this context, in my workplace, I actually have the opportunity and the ability to carry God's dominion into my workplace because I am not a spiritual insulator. I am a spiritual conductor. I think of someone else in our church like Brian, who just recently retired and Brian's dream for retirement is not just to waste his days away golfing as a spiritual insulator. Nothing against golf. I got some family members that are going to throw some stuff at me. Nothing against golf. But what I love about how Brian views his retirement is that this is a whole new season for him to equip the church to be used by God in ways that he couldn't when he was working full time because Brian sees himself as a spiritual conductor, not an insulator. I think of people like April. I could go on and on for three hours with stories in our church. I think of people like April, who's an accountant. She's an accountant, and she could approach her job like a spiritual insulator and just say, my job is to just make as much money as I can and crunch as many numbers as I can or whatever accountants <laughs> actually do. Um, but instead... 
She's gotten people in her workplace passionate about our hand-to-hand ministry and gotten them involved because April, in her role as an accountant, doesn't see herself as a spiritual insulator. She sees herself as a spiritual conductor. Guys, there are so many stories that we could share in this church of this happening. The point I'm trying to make is that if you are a follower of Jesus... You have a calling on your life to be a spiritual conductor, not a spiritual insulator. That your calling is to carry God's dominion into every context of our lives. And Jesus, Jesus taught about this exact concept more than any other idea in his ministry. He obsessed over this idea. And he had a term that he gave it. When God's rule and his reign and his dominion is brought into every context of life, does anybody know what Jesus called this? He called it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, interchangeable terms. But the kingdom of heaven is when God's people understand they are not insulators, they are conductors, and they bring his kingdom rule and his kingdom reign into every aspect of life. Guys, heaven is not a place where we just kind of take a vacation in Florida and never work again. There will be work in heaven, but it will be fulfilling, good, God-honoring work. And the calling of disciples of Jesus here and now is to give the world a foretaste of what that looks like. You see, Jesus obsessed over teaching about this kingdom, his kingdom, his father's kingdom. He obsessed over announcing that it is here that it is at hand. He, he obsessed over teaching what it was like, what citizenship in this kingdom looks like for your here and now, not just for your one day. Because all of life is sacred. There are no secular parts if you are endeavoring to follow Jesus. And what's true about this kingdom is that it is already here. It is already at hand. But there are people you interact with every single day, in your families, in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, who don't yet see that that kingdom is at hand. And whose job is it to show them? Ours. Because you are not a spiritual insulator. You are a spiritual conductor. The church is called to be the ones in the world who announce that the kingdom of God is here. We are announcers of that message. We are spiritual conductors. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but God can't use me where I'm at right now. Like I understand. Let me just a little aggressive for a minute here. So let me just uh, meet you here in this moment. I understand why people settle into this mentality. I do. I've been in this mentality. I can't stand up here and say I'm perfectly over here and not over here. There are times in my life where I have one foot in both worlds. Perfection's not necessarily what we're after here. But I think a lot of the reason that maybe we settle into a spiritual observer, uh, absorber mentality or insulator mentality is because some of us just don't understand what the cross of Jesus Christ actually means in our lives. That some of us are so caught up in the shame that we feel every single day. 
or the guilt over a past mistake, over a marriage that maybe didn't make it. Some of us are crippled by anxiety and doubt and chaos. For some of us, Tobu Wabohu still reigns in our lives. Chaos still reigns in our lives. And so we find it easier and more comfortable to just absorb. And there are some of us that, that need to be in that season for a little while. I get it. But I want to remind you that if this is the place where you are stuck, you may not understand the full message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Genesis 1 is not the only time where Genesis 1 happens. Genesis, let me say that again. Genesis 1 is not the only time where Genesis 1 happens. You see, this is crazy. This will blow your mind. That Jesus, being born of a virgin and in a major, was born into a Genesis 1 world where chaos reigned. Tobu wabohu all around. Darkness was the norm. Emptiness, desolation. Jesus was born into this world and, create, and, and mimicking the very same pattern of creation that God used in Genesis 1, Jesus enters into it. He enters into the Tobu Wabohu. He enters into the chaos. He enters into the desolation. And he begins doing exactly what his father did in Genesis 1, separating. This is the kingdom of light. This is the kingdom of darkness. I'm inviting you into the kingdom of light. This is chaos. This is order. I am bringing order out of the chaos. This is the dominion of God, and this is the dominion of this world. And he did it all on a cross where death was swallowed up in victory, where death forever, ever lost its sting. And just like Adam, who was created out of the ground, on the third day, Jesus Christ came bursting forth out of the ground as the very first person in the new creation, the restoration of the Genesis 1 world that God had created, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ushering in of this kingdom. And so the invitation that God offers each and every one of us here today is the same one that he offered Adam and Eve in the garden before sin ever entered the picture. Whose kingdom will you live in? Will you lie to yourself and convince yourself that some areas of life are sacred and some areas of your life are secular? Or will you give me authorship over all of it in your workplace, in your family, in your school building? Will you transfer authorship over to me? I love how the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says it this way. He says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a what? Yes. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, you could stop there and convince yourself that God calls us to be spiritual insulators. Yay, warm, fuzzy feeling, right? God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. But notice what Paul does next. He doesn't stop there. He says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, 
Anytime you see therefore, what are you supposed to ask? What is it there for? <laughs> therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The very nature of the new creation is to be a spiritual conductor. The very nature of the new creation is to take God's dominion into every area of our lives. And so we're going to close this morning. I want to invite the band up, and I just want to ask this one question. We did a lot of theology today. I want to get it really practical at the end here. I want to ask this one question. Where will you carry God's dominion forward in your life? Where will you carry God's dominion forward in your life? For some of us, this is going to mean a change in the way that we approach our work. That we walked into a job and just saw it as an opportunity for a paycheck and done the bare minimum to scrape by. And for some of us, carrying God's dominion forward into our workplaces means showing up every single day and doing the best we have to offer. Being the best employee that we possibly can being the most compassionate employer that we can imagine, paying our workers fair wages, not because the government tells us to, but because it's the right thing to do. See, some of us, we enter our workplace taking shortcuts, lacking integrity, trying to get by, and again, I get it, I get it. But that's not what it means to take God's dominion forward in this world. For others of us, this means a relational shift. That God hasn't had dominion over our marriages, over our family lives, over the way we are raising kids, over our relationships with our coworkers and our bosses. And to give God dominion, to become a spiritual conductor, means that we see every area of our lives as a calling from God to bring his love, to bring his presence, to share his message in those places. For others of us, this is a shift in the way that we choose to engage church, that we've been insulators who come and consume, and God is calling us, and he's saying, guys, it is time to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty because this kingdom work is too important and it is too urgent, and now is the time you are being called to serve in my church to see my kingdom expanded and grow. I think when we look at our own lives, I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Where is it for you? I encourage you, start with one area. Where is it for you? Where will you carry God's dominion forward in your life as we go this week? I want to close us in a little bit of a different way this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond in worship, which is all normal. We do that every week. But what I want to do as we close this morning, and you can do this online, you can do this in person, is if, if you're here this morning, and you feel God stirring in your heart and saying, you know what, it's time to become a spiritual conductor. 
if God is convicting you in a specific area, if God is saying it is time to stop absorbing, it is time to start moving on my behalf into this world, I want to just invite you to just stand where you are, and I would love to pray over you. If you're watching online, you can drop your name in the comments, and I'd love to pray for you this week. But, but if that's you, if you feel like God is calling you in your workplace, in your family, to become a spiritual conductor where his power flows and acts through you, go ahead and just stand where you are right now. Go ahead and just stand up if that is what you believe God is calling you to be in your world. Amen. I would love to just pray over those of you who stood this morning. I'd love to pray over those who put comments in the comment section on, online. And then let's respond and worship. God, you didn't call us to just get comfortable. <laughs> you afflict those who are comfortable. God, I pray for every single person who's in this room standing, who, who entered a comment online. God, I pray that you will provide real opportunities for them to be conductors in their different atmospheres and areas of life. That God, where they have been given to maybe apathy, which is so easy for all of us, where they have been given to maybe passivity, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will empower them, not by their own strength, not by their own ability. When they doubt themselves, God, may they look to the cross and see that you have called them and you have equipped them and you have empowered them to be conductors of your love, your power, your authorship in every avenue of their life. So God, that is our prayer. May you use these people powerfully in the days and weeks and years ahead. We pray all of this. In the holy name of Jesus and everybody said,